This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Grocery Outlet Bargain Market is your home for huge savings on name brand products. This week, have a fun and delicious start to your morning with Post Nutter Butter Cereal. 19-ounce boxes are just 99 cents. That's a wow savings of up to 80% versus traditional grocery stores. Also, Star Kissed Chunk Light Tuna, 5-ounce cans are buy two, get one free. That's a wow savings of up to 64%. Limit three free. Offers good through March 12th. Grocery Outlet Bargain Market. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Hardwood Knocks. The season is quickly approaching, and we're going to try and churn out these previews for you so we get to every team before the season actually starts. This is Adam Frommel here with Dan Favale and Andy Bailey, and today we're going to be talking about Dan's favorite team. That's the New York Knicks. It's been a little bit unfortunate lately. They only won 17 games last year. It's been a remarkably rough stretch the last couple years, but things are starting to look up. As opposed to last season, they actually roster a bunch of NBA players, and that suddenly has Knicks fans feeling a little bit optimistic. So, Dan, we'll, we'll kick things off with you here, obviously. Uh, how high can this team rise this year? Well, I, think we, I don't think they're going to rise super high, but I think there's this legitimate shot for them to win 25, 27 more games than they did last year, be that team that's right around 500. I do think, after wrestling with this for... Skydiving. This is amazing. Yeah, but you know what else is amazing? An iPhone 6S for just 49 bucks at Metro. Really? Imagine streaming all the way down with that amazing camera. I'm switching. That's smart. You know what else is smart? Parachutes. Woo! Switch to Metro and get an amazing iPhone 6S for only 49 bucks. Metro by T-Mobile. Phone offer requires port in of number not currently active on T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions. Months. I do think they're going to end up with the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference, mostly because I feel like their defense is going to be really, really good. They brought in a lot of defensive talent. Robin Lopez is a phenomenal rib protector. You know I have a man crush on Kyle O'Quinn. Melo's even talking about defense. He probably won't play it, but the fact that he's talking about it is pretty huge in my book. And you just look at some of the weapons they might have on the perimeter now. Jerry and Grant should really put in a bunch more effort when he's going to guard the perimeter. They have some length. Aaron Aflalo tries when he's healthy for the most part. Again, this isn't a team that's really going to just come out and have one of those 35-40 win season turnarounds, but I do think they have enough defensive talent to snag that eighth spot in the Eastern Conference or at least contend for it. I don't think this is a Knicks team that we should just pencil off right now because of how wide the Eastern Conference's middle class is. I think they'll contend for eighth too. I don't. I won't pencil them in. Uh, I'm probably not as confident about them as as Dan is, but I think that there's just such a wide open. I don't know. Maybe like six through twelve in the East, just like it is in the West. We've we've talked about this in other episodes. It's wide open in that 
same area in the West. It's just it's going to be a lot more wins <laughs> in the Western Conference. So like your your eighth seeded Eastern Conference team could get in with like 38-39 wins, and I don't think that's out of the question um, for the Knicks. The one, I mean, the biggest question mark that I do have is Derek Fisher. I I acknowledge all of the talent that they added that Dan just mentioned, and I'm high on a couple of those guys too, but I am not sold on whether or not Derek Fisher can can put those guys to use correctly. I really wonder what Fisher's exact role with the team is. Is he a figurehead who's kind of acting as Phil Jackson's puppet? I mean, we've been told that that isn't really his role and that he does have authority to run the team as he wants to to some extent. But is that is that trying to save public face? Because it, I, I don't know how you coach an NBA team if you are being pulled in so many different directions. And it kind of feels like that's what's happening. Well, I think he's kind of caught somewhere in between where this is a situation where Phil Jackson said, like, hey, this is how I want the team to be coached. This is the players I'm bringing in. This is my plan. I want you to be the face on the sidelines of that plan. And that does sort of tether him to this one ideology or this model he has to adhere to. And I also don't think he wants to be responsible for what's happening completely because we've already seen the report, or even Phil Jackson himself said it, that Derek Fisher Fisher asked him to be around more this season. And that's not really something you expect of a head coach to say of his team president. But you did see that he had a little bit more freedom down the line last year. The Knicks sort of diverted from the triangle. We're running a lot more pick and rolls, which is great, especially now because they have some actual pick and roll talent. The good thing also is he can't really muck up their defense if they have talent. Like He would have to throw out the wrong lineups, which is a worry of mine. But the biggest concern for me and we've seen it in the preseason now, is their offense is still not modern enough. They're taking way too many mid-range jumpers. I think more than 30% of their shot attempts in the preseason have come from mid-range, and there isn't a single team last year who ranked in the top half of offensive efficiency that took 30% of their shots from mid-range. That needs to be fixed. I'm not sure if he's the guy to do that. I don't necessarily view him as Phil Jackson's puppet, but he's, he's certainly just a part of that regime. I think he was brought in under the guise, hey, this is what Phil Jackson wants to do. This is what you need to do. And there's there's little to no wiggle room. I'm hoping he gets more as time goes on, and maybe we can judge him as a coach more so than a puppet. But uh, I guess if you have to pick, I'd probably say he's more puppet than not. I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I kind of want to see this team get as far away from the triangle as possible just because the pieces on the roster don't really seem to fit in with it. When you have that offensive system, it's minimizing the role of the point guard. You need bigs who can pass. And I'm not sure that either of those is a really great idea given the pieces that they have. Robin Lopez can pass the ball. He's not going to stand out as a great distributor. Maybe Porzingis can down the road. Maybe Melo can if he plays at the four. But you just drafted Jerry and Grant, who's a good pick-and-roll guard, and you don't want to minimize the impact that he has when he's on the court. So it doesn't feel like a good fit to me at all. I agree with you. I I don't even know if the triangle really has a place in the NBA at all today unless you were to modernize it in some ways, maybe extend some things so you get more three-pointers. I think some of the stuff, like you know, posting up in the high post and kind of working off of that, I think th- that stuff can still work if you just modernize and adjust the end goals. <laughs> so like Dan talked about, a lot of it is geared towards getting mid-range jumpers, which was great in Michael Jordan's day. Uh, it was great in the early 2000s when Kobe was doing it, but it just doesn't really work now. 
I, I, and another point that's kind of related to what Adam was saying was my favorite coaches in any sport are the coaches that are willing to adapt their systems to meet what their personnel does as opposed to the coach who has a rigid system. He goes in there, tries to find players that fit it or tries to make the players that are there fit it, even if they, they don't. That always seems to, to work out um, less effectively in my mind. The best coaches are, are um, they're adaptable. I 100% agree with what you said. Uh, to the previous point of the triangle not having a spot in the NBA, I agree with what you said it needs to be modernized. The Spurs and the Warriors both have elements of the triangle in their offensive system. They've just been able to stand that, it, that offensive range of it. The hope for the Knicks, and this is going to lead into the point that you just made, is that this is the year where we should really see if they are willing to adapt because they didn't go out and get players who were specific to the triangle. Robin Lopez is not a triangle center. Kristaps Porzingis is not a triangle scorer. He's He can't body up in the post. He's that modern-day big man who can shoot, and maybe one day he'll be able to block shots or something. You drafted Jerry and Grant. You traded someone like Tim Hardaway Jr., who, while majorly imperfect, is probably just a better fit for the triangle because he's a better off-ball shooter. But you go out and get this pick-and-roll guard. It lends hope that the Knicks are going to adjust, and it's what they sort of did at the end of last season and it might have cost them some losses just because they were running more pick and rolls. The offense looked a tad bit better. And maybe that's why we'll be able to judge Derek Fisher more effectively this year because he's going to have to branch out of the triangle. He's not going to be able to fall under that Phil Jackson umbrella. And Phil Jackson has to know that too. So all that stuff is going to tie together because of what they put together. The roster looks good on paper so long as the Knicks are ready to move forward highlighting that talent they can't force these guys into the triangle they need to accentuate their strengths and if they're able to do that that's why you think hey maybe we have a good future because we are not married to that outdated triangle system so obviously offense matters but i'm not entirely sure that it's going to for this team if they can keep playing defense like they have in the preseason and dan you talked about this right at the beginning but it's worth noting just how good they've been on that end and granted all the all the typical caveats apply here because they've only played four games. They've been four preseason games. They even played one international team. But if you look at what they've done on that end of the court, they're 13% better than the league average for effective field goal percentage for uh, a defense. They're, they're forcing 22% more turnovers. They're a better defensive rebounding team than the average team in the league. And if you add it all up, uh, I'm using my, my FATS model here, but they've actually played like a 49.3 win team during this short preseason stint. And that's got to be encouraging. The other thing that's encouraging for me, and again, it's with the caveat of the preseason, if you look at their defensive rating, it is completely unsustainable. They're allowing, as of yesterday, 88.6 points per 100 possessions. I'm just going off something I wrote yesterday. The average team last year allowed around 4.6 more per 100 possessions in the regular season than they did in the preseason. Again, the Knicks still aren't going to have that defensive rating of 92 or, or 93, but if you even tack on 15 points per 100 possessions to their current score, they're going to be way better than last year when they allowed 107.2. And I think that's the real key. You can't look at this preseason as, hey, they're going to be one of the top five defensive teams in the league. But I think you can look and be like, even if we regress by 15 points per 100 possessions, which is a huge margin, we're still going to be in the middle of the pack at least. And I think that's something that they can look towards as well. And at least to your point, they need to figure out all these things on the offensive end. I fully expect that it will be brutal going there. They did run the equivalent of a top 10 offense with Melo on the floor last year. 
if he's healthy, he will be able to carry them. But it's their defense that's going to be their identity, and that hasn't been their identity in over a decade, which is pretty incredible. So, I, again, I think that's encouraging just looking at what they've been able to do in the preseason. Yeah, I mean, when I was introducing this, this podcast, Dan, you kind of you giggled and, or chuckled and looked at me funny when I said that they're actually rostering legitimate NBA players this year. But, I mean, it's kind of true. Last year was a very makeshift roster filled with guys who probably belong on the very end of the bench or in the D-League playing major minutes. Those aren't guys that you want to see when you're trying to make a playoff push. And now they have Robin Lopez. Now they have Aaron Aflalo. There are a lot of significant additions here, and arguably the biggest one is Carmelo Anthony. I mean, yeah, he was on the roster last year, but he's actually healthier now. He's not going to sit out after the All-Star break, hopefully. Um, I mean, barring another injury. So this roster looks entirely different. I think, obviously, a lot of credit goes to Phil Jackson. I, he, he got a lot of heat last year, but I, usually when a team bottoms out and it's clearly trying to bottom out, we kind of give the general manager a little bit of leeway. Sam Hinkie's obviously gotten a ton of leeway with what he's done with the Philadelphia 76ers over the last few years. Jackson, at least you know to me, it seemed like the media gave him a lot of grief over last season's struggles it was obvious what was going on they were bottoming out for a reason and it looks now after this summer like he had a legitimate plan in place and a lot of these guys seem to fit together really well some of the guys that you you mentioned Dan earlier and some of the guys that you just mentioned Adam they're all solid NBA players and if they are again I, I go back to Derek Fisher if he can figure out how to make everything fit together and work I, I think it's a in at, in at least a decent team in the Eastern Conference. That's that's 100% correct. And you look at this team now, and it's easier to go back and be like, hey, Phil Jackson had a plan. This wasn't Phil Jackson's plan. I think that's what got everyone all bent out of shape. You well, he adjusted. I mean, he, he adjusted, which changed is fine. halfway through the year last year. Right, but this was also the case. Is you re-signed Carmelo Anthony for five years and $124 million or whatever it was, you don't expect to bottom out, and you were also bottoming it out without a foundation for the future to look at. And it's easy to look at the Sixers and be like, maybe less easy now because it's been a few years, but you look at them and be like, hey, they have these upcoming draft picks. They have a couple guys who could be there building blocks of the future. The Knicks can't bottom out with the intent on rebuilding through the draft. Well, they, they, knew they, they knew they had this year's pick. Again, I totally understand. I wasn't one of the ones that was going to kill them for bottoming it out. You, you'd be as bad as possible, but... Just looking at it from a fan's perspective and the media's perspective, you yeah. have Jackson talking about a team that's going to make the playoffs. Then you have him stripping down the roster to the bare minimum after you paid a 30-year-old Carmelo Anthony $124 million. And the thing is, is you knew that it was always going to come back to free agency. The Knicks didn't really chase as many big guns as I think everyone expected. They went after actual team guys, which is, again, good. But you didn't have anyone on that roster. There was Langston Galloway. It was like hey, maybe he could be part of the future. And you need building blocks that you can sell these free agents you're hoping to chase. So I just think it, it was a manifestation of all these conflicting agendas. And part of it was Jackson himself because of some of the things he said. You never got an idea of how much he was invested in this team. And then it really didn't help over the summer with those fill files that came out on ESPN.com <laughs> where he just yeah. bashed players that he had. Like, you don't want... I, again, I know J.R. Smith can be a knucklehead, but you don't want your team president doing stuff like that I more think it was a symptom of, of Phil Jackson than it was what Phil Jackson was trying to do I honestly believe that so that would probably be the biggest thing there 
Again, it does look like it worked out. We'll see more this season. But if it was anyone else other than Phil Jackson, or if Phil Jackson had been a little bit more upfront about certain things, I think the media looks at it a lot differently from the jump. I agree. I, you made some really good points there, and I, I have to concede most of those. I want to make a. I want to bring up one of those off-season acquisitions. Um, somebody who Derek Williams. I'll just say it. Number two pick a few years ago. He hasn't really done anything in the NBA, but I just looked up. His He's helped numbers. a lot of other players do things in the NBA. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> This is the same preseason caveats applied here to what you guys were saying earlier, but he's averaging 28 points per 36 minutes in the preseason, shooting 59% from the field and 46% from three. Um, obviously, that's he's not going to maintain that, but he looks good in the preseason. Do, do you guys think that there's a chance that, that this is finally his breakout? Not, or, not, not necessarily. Can I interject for one second before we throw it to Adam? Player. I don't even want them to find out if this is his breakout. <laughs> no business being on this roster. I'm sorry. Okay. But I don't. I don't mind it being on the roster, but I mean that's essentially what I was going to say. You don't want him stealing enough minutes on this team that we're going to find out because you do have so many people who need to get on the court. Robin Lopez should be entrenched as the starting center, but Kylo Quinn needs to play. Kristaps Porzingis needs to play. You definitely want Carmelo Anthony to play the four and small ball lineups. You got to see what you have in Clay Anthony early. I mean there are, there are a lot of guys who haven't used up their first couple chances in the league that you need to evaluate first before you make seeing what you have in Williams a priority. And even though he's looked so good on offense during the preseason, he's still been atrocious on defense. He, he still doesn't try. And that's, and that's a huge problem to, to me for a team that, that's trying to have a defensive identity for the first time in a long time. If you're already going to throw out Carmelo Anthony, if you're already going to give minutes to Jose Calderon, you can't afford to have a third liability on the court. And that's the other thing, is the only incentive would be to play him for defense, which he, which he won't play. I won't say he can't play, because he is pretty quick. He's still super athletic. And while he's sort of that tweener forward, I know the Timberwolves and even the Kings a little bit tried to make him a small forward. It doesn't look like he could do that. Maybe he would be quick enough to defend opposing threes, which would be able to give someone like Melo a break, because the Knicks seem to be pigeonholing him to the small forward spot, which is a mistake in itself. And knowing that, and knowing that Melo should at least see time throughout the game at the four, and it's like Adam said, you already have Kristaps Porzingis, you have Kylo Quinn, who I love and just needs to play at the four and maybe see minutes in the center. There just isn't room for Derek Williams in this front court rotation, consistently at least. And if you're going to throw someone out at the three just, as, just to see, I'd rather be Clay Anthony Early who has a better shot at sticking as a small forward than Derek Williams does. He just doesn't have the offensive game. So if you want to say it's fine, him being on the roster, whatever, I wasn't happy that they gave him a player option for the, the following season, but he doesn't really have a spot right now, or at least he shouldn't in this front court rotation. And I'm hoping that the preseason, in a sense, isn't a side of things to come because I don't want to see him on the floor that much. Quick interjection before Andy responds to that. I think it's worth noting for all of our listeners that if you think about your favorite player and how much you love him and then double that, that's about how much Dan loves Kylo Quinn right now. Can I tell you why? Yes. No? Yes? Okay. <laughs> I watched a little bit of him in Orlando. Like, I'm not going to say like I was just religious, but he was just so understatedly good, and he could never become this consistent fixture. So I took to basketball reference naturally after the Knicks. Uh, got him from Orlando, and since 2012-2013, the last three seasons, only two players 
have averaged at least 18.5 points, 15 rebounds, 3 assists, and 3 blocks per 100 possessions, while logging a total of 2,500 minutes, which is a decent sample size. One is Kylo Quinn. Who do you think the other one is? Anthony Adam Davis. Might know. The answer, yeah. It's Tim Duncan. That was my second guess. Seriously. So, again, small sample size caveat, but this guy does everything. Block shots, passes, he can shoot now. He has a decent post game. I love him. I heart him. I don't blame him. I I want you to carry on the Kylo Quinn, Tim Duncan comparison all season too. He is gonna be better than Tim Duncan. Is all I'm saying. Is that really unfair? <laughs> he's all. He's also from New York City, so that's pretty cool. Just the the returning home story. Let me just defend bringing up Derek Williams because maybe it's just because I have a soft spot for uh, guys who bad basketball players. <laughs> Maybe it's that, but maybe it's also guys who just don't quite live up to their draft stock in the first couple years. I've always had a soft spot for Michael Beasley. You guys know how I feel about Jimmer Fredette. Um, I how want, do you feel? <laughs> I want Love these guys him. to succeed, and I feel like Derek Williams is still only 24 years old. That's the same age as Clay Anthony Early. That's younger than Kyle O'Quinn. I think he still has some potential, especially offensively, if they can get him to you know, as you guys said, at least try on the defensive end, I think there's a chance that he could revive some semblance of a career. Last, last night on Twitter, I was talking about guys who either entered college or the NBA with a lot of hype and then just sort of settled into being a solid role player in the NBA. And I used O.J. Mayo as an example. Um, somebody else brought up Harrison Barnes. I wouldn't mind seeing that kind of a career trajectory for Derek Williams. I I don't think flaming out is completely out of the question, and I don't think falling out of this rotation is out of the question, but I think it would be cool if he if he found a good, solid role here with this Knicks team. The thing is, what you is, have to be in the rotation to fall out of it. And that's the other thing is where, Bailey, what would his role be on this team? You look at what they have on paper and what they should do right off the jump. What should they be I, able to give Derek Williams? I think he could play like a solid backup stretch four. I don't, so you're taking minutes away from O'Quinn and Porzingis. That's I, I'm not sold on O'Quinn. <laughs> he's 25 years old. He doesn't. I mean, what is he? He's a good rim protector, but I don't. I don't know if he has the same level of potential. And maybe this is this is already the statute of limitations is passed on Derek Williams. <laughs> potential. For me, I think the biggest difference here is that I was just never high on Derek Williams. I mean, even coming out of Arizona, I thought that he was going to be a total bust. Different. I think we actually, Andy, you and I, I think recorded a video during that dra- the lead up to that draft. Um, this was like a while back. Um, is that the same year as Jimmer? I believe so. And I think, I think that this was the player we actually argued the most about on it just because I, I was never sold on his game. <laughs> Oh, it looks like you might be right. <laughs> I was wrong about plenty, though. I thought Kawhi Leonard was going to be a bust. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Probably shouldn't admit that. <laughs> I just, I mean, again, it would be, you always, you never root for a player to fail. I, no, I don't think course. that that's a thing. So it would be great, yeah, if he could revive his career. I just don't see how the Knicks can help him doing that without taking minutes away from players who, at this point, deserve to play more than he does. You can say what you want about Kyle O'Quinn. His ceiling right now is higher than Derek Williams. That is not a question in my mind. He's better suited for today's NBA. Derek Williams still can't shoot. He's going into what, year five, year four? He still can't shoot. What's his like, you need to be able to shoot if you're going to be a, a tweener forward in today's NBA. Especially I think really, when, when, when he was coming into the league, one of the biggest assets he was supposed to have was his shot selection. Shooting. 
You know, he yeah. was he, he was such a he shot like over fifty percent from three uh, during his last year at Arizona, I believe. And yeah, it, it was because he had such good timing and such good selection and positioning, and that hasn't translated to the NBA at all, which is it's too concerning for me to even want to give him another chance. Until these four preseason games. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, but you need like again, and then you also need touches for this guy I'm, to succeed because he's not going to really make an impact on the defensive end. You're I'm not going to get touches if you play with Melo. Or again, I guess I'm not saying it's impossible. I just don't see how the Knicks are that team. They're already going to have an issue in a couple of years, assuming you want to keep Melo, because Porzingis is eventually going to need to start, and he's best suited as a five. You have Robin Lopez on the roster. How, how long is Lopez's contract? It's four, four years, fifty-four million. I love that contract. I know some people. It's a don't. great contract, and there's a possibility that by the time that you know, by the time Lopez retires, not retires, but he's a free agent or he's that old and ready to back up, that's when you can slide Przingis to the five or something. But Przingis is a future five right now. You want to play him at the four, probably, and you already have Kylo Quinn there. You have Melo when he's time to four. I just don't see it. I, again, I don't see how Williams can make an impact on this team unless Derek Fisher is willing to place his development over. Porzingis's and or Kylo Quinn's, which would be a massive mistake. Can I just say that I did not expect to spend like six or seven minutes talking about Derek Williams? Like My, that, yeah, that might be <laughs> one of the more surprising things that we have done on these podcasts. Yeah, well, I, I honestly didn't think it would take that long either. <laughs> well, you, you know what? I think it's time to spend at least 30 seconds on this is Bailey brought up a good point uh, or at least made me start thinking about this point before the podcast where and it might even tie into his conversation about why the media hated Phil Jackson. The Knicks fell to fourth in the lottery, which is how they got Porzingis, whom I love, just like Kyle O'Quinn. I know I love a lot of people today. I realize that. But they almost saved themselves, in my mind, by dropping to fourth. You know, they didn't have the top spot because they lost those games, but then they also fell to fourth. And if they were anywhere inside the top three, I could have seen them picking Julio Okafor, who would not have been the right guy to build modern-day NBA offense around. Maybe he would have been better for the triangle, but they just I don't think they would have went out with that team-oriented approach of, hey, let's get core guys, and we can actually put together a team regardless of the triangle. So I look back, and I'm almost happy that they didn't get that top spot because I could have seen them passing on Okafor over Carl Anthony Towns. I'm just happy for you. I think that I, to- I told you multiple times before the draft was, was taking place that I actually thought Porzingis and Mario Hazonia were going to emerge as two of the best players in the class. So it, it was good news for the Knicks to me. They, like you said, they saved themselves from themselves. I would agree with that, too. I think the only guy in that top four who I am confident, maybe not even confident, who I think has a good chance of being better than Porzingis is Towns. I was really high on Russell. I still really like him. This summer, I, I mean, I do still have hope for him, but this summer league and this preseason has definitely impacted my view of his potential. Um, and then Jaleel Okafor, I think he's really good, and he would have been great in the early 90s. But I'm just not sure this is an era for, for Jaleel Okafor. You should be, because it's not. <laughs> but all things said, what do you guys? how many games do you think the Knicks are going to win this season. Again, like Adam said at the beginning, they won 17 last year. What do we see for them this year? I will throw it to Mr. Fromm first. I'm, I'm going to predict right around 35. I can see them getting up to a 500 record, but I, that would be pretty unlikely. They would require some immediate chemistry on the offensive end that we're really not seeing quite yet. 
Uh, I think that they, like you said at the very beginning, I think they're going to be in the conversation for the eighth seed. I don't see them getting it because, I, as we've established in previous episodes, I'm way higher than you on the Pacers. And I think that there are, there are nine teams that are better than the Knicks. So I'm going to put them at t- uh, 10th with 35 wins. I am going to go with 38, and I'm going to say 9th or 10th as well. I'm going to say 38, 39, 40, that range. If I had to pick a number, I'm going to go 39 just to give a concrete number. Just say 42, Dan. What? Just say 42. I could see them hitting 500. Again, I think it's going to be a struggle. I mean, you have to account for how massive a turnaround that would be. Like They would have to win pretty much 25 more games to hit 500. I think they'll get 39, and I think they will get 8 seed in the Eastern Conference. If you really look at the East, and if we're going to expect the Bucks to be okay, there's really only two playoff spots open. A lot of people think one of those will probably go to the Heat. I have, I have a little bit of my doubts with them in terms of their health. I am not high on the Pacers. The Hornets are screwed without Michael Kikio Chris. They're not making the playoffs. The Pistons worry me a little bit because they have that nice foundation with KCP, Stanley Johnson, Drummond, and Reggie Jackson, but... I think the Knicks can get to 39 wins with their defense alone, and Melo, if he's healthy, should be able to do enough on offense, and if they get to 39, they'll be in the playoffs. 39 wins will get you in the playoffs in the East this year. Anyway, that's enough talk about why the Knicks are one of the 2016 championship favorites. It is now time for... Bacon! Bacon! Where's the bacon? I smell bacon! 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 Gotta be bacon! Only one thing smells like bacon! That's bacon! Today we are going to be... Handing our bacon-flavored talking stick to Mr. Adam Rommel. So this happened a couple days before we were recording this. It's still kind of annoying me a little bit. And it's the reaction to Jose Bautista's basically series-winning home run for the Toronto Blue Jays and his reaction to hitting that homer. I'm sure you've seen the Vine by now. It went totally viral where he stands there, he watches the ball, and then he violently flips his bat probably one of the, the all-time greatest bat flips in the MLB. Um, and, and the uproar over this was ridiculous. Granted, it's one of baseball's unwritten rules that you're not supposed to do that. It's showing up the pitcher. It's excessive celebration, all that. And that's dumb. Like, in some situations, it's fine. If it's the middle of the regular season, you hit a solo shot in a meaningless game, don't flip your bat. Like, adhere to that unwritten rule. But in this situation, it's totally different. Bautista's been with the Blue Jays since 2008. This was a massive moment where he basically, again, won the series. And if you're not going to let him show a little bit of emotion in that situation, then that's just absolutely stupid. A lot of baseball's unwritten rules are weird. They should be written down just so we can track all of them. But this one, this one is just beyond dumb. Let the guys celebrate. I agree. The reaction was silly to me. Who cares? Definitely overblown it. It sort of shows you how archaic baseball's ideology is at this point. They really need to get up with the times. I do understand, though, where people are coming from, where I've never been a fan of the celebration of, hey, I'm the man, or look how good I am. Like, if he looked legitimately just, like, ecstatic, he could have thrown his bat into the stands for all I cared. I'm not a big fan of that, like, pompous celebration, which I do think his fell under that umbrella. I'm not against it. I love emotion, and I think that's where the action was overblown. But if you could have had something that was a little bit more just team-oriented or excited rather than, hey, look at me, I am the man. Like, it, would be different I, to I, me. it would be different to me if he like ran around the bases riding a horse or something like that or was like doing the <laughs> disco on second base. But 
he hit the home run. He's allowed to watch that moment unfold. That's that's all it was. And then the bat flip to accentuate it. I, I loved it. Yeah, it didn't bother me one bit. I guess I can see what Dan is saying, though. Um, if you want to continue to hash this out, I'm sure you will all love to talk about it on, uh, on Twitter with us. Um, Adam can be found at Frommel09. Dan is at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. All three of us are at Hardwood Knox. Uh, you can reach us there, ask us any questions, talk about what's burning your bacon. Um, if you listen to the podcast on iTunes, make sure and give us a rating. Make sure and subscribe. If you listen on Stitcher, make sure and favorite us there. We really appreciate uh, that you guys listen, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again. Shout out to Bino Udry. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> in fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $20.84 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> in fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $20.84 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.